Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk, where does it go? Welcome to Where Does It Go, a podcast about the life cycle of stuff. We are here today with a a friend of mine, Doug Newman. Doug is a husband, a father of two girls, and the CEO of RPO. We are interviewing him today because besides being an interesting guy, he recently donated a kidney, and this is not something that I feel like many people talk about. We often hear the stories of the people who need and get kidneys, but we wanted to hear from someone who, while alive, donated a kidney. So welcome, Doug. Thank you, Sarah. It's great to be here. Awesome. So how did it come about that you decided to donate a kidney? (laughs) It's funny. People ask me this question a lot. So I was on Facebook about a year ago, actually, and I saw a post from a friend about the fact that his wife had recently gone on the kidney recipient list. Her, Her kidney function had fallen to a level where she was now a candidate to receive a kidney and uh, was effectively going to have to wait many years for somebody to pass away and for her to receive that particular kidney. Um, This is somebody that I've known for years, um, sort of arm's length, I would say. He grew up across the street from my wife, and they were both only children. And uh, so their families were kind of tight. They would vacation together, that kind of stuff. Um, And he met his wife in college in Boston when my wife and I lived in Boston. And so we would see them occasionally. And I knew Carrie, who received the kidney uh, through that process. That was early 2000s. Um, I hadn't seen them really since 2010 when they got married. And uh, my wife and I went to their wedding in Ohio. And um, so we hadn't chatted, but I knew that she had uh, kidney disease inherited from her father. And so I wasn't surprised to see him post that she was at the point where she needed a transplant. They live in California. Uh, the wait list in California for a kidney is about 10 years. Wow. Holy moly. So uh, the best option for them was to find somebody who would be willing to donate a live kidney. And so that's what they were doing. They were on a, a social media search to, to find somebody. And I, I was just kind of intrigued. So did you have to do tests or any kind of prep to make sure your kidney was oh, yeah. viable? So, I mean, the, the way the process starts is you go fill out a form online that's with the, for in my case, it was with the UCLA Medical Center, mm-hmm. um, and give a little information about yourself. One of those things is what your blood type is. And, you know, I'm filling out this paperwork, like, you know, surely, like, what are the chances that I'm a match and uh, not knowing really anything about the process was like, this is pretty low risk for me at this point. Uh, so I filled it out and I got a call a couple days later and they were extremely intrigued. And it turns out that 90% of compatibility is about blood type. Wow. And I, I have O positive blood, which I think makes me a universal donor. Yeah, um, as do I, yeah. As do I, that's yeah, weird. Fantastic, <laughs> quite the trio. <laughs> Um, so because of that, then, then that checks a lot of the boxes necessary. Mm-hmm. So what proceeded from then was I had to, um, find a way, and this was part of the ordeal, but find a way to get a bunch of blood drawn here in North Carolina and then shipped to California 
so that they could run some compatibility tests, which I believe is largely about like mixing my blood and her blood and figure out if her blood attacks my blood. Um, oh, weird. And whether we have antigen compatibility or something like that. There are like six points of compatibility, um, and we were a match on three of them, which doesn't sound great from a compatibility perspective, but apparently the only way you ever get all six is if you're twins. And um, that three points of compatibility has the same success rate as five points of compatibility. Wow. So that, that, was, that was good enough. Uh, turned out they had a better match. We can come back to that. So, but ultimately, uh, you know, getting that blood draw was the, the first big part of the test. And then once um, they really wanted to go further, there's a lot of, um, they need to check me out and my health because they want to make sure that I don't, like me donating a kidney doesn't compromise my own health tremendously. Um, they'd rather have two living people or just one living person, I guess, than, than zero living people. Um, and so they do a really good job of uh, considering the donor's health and the impact on the donor's life and family situation, all that kind of stuff. So for that, I had to fly out to California and then go through two days of testing and education and psychotherapy and stuff like that. You had to go to psychotherapy. Well, I had to sit on a couch and have them ask me all kinds of questions about my childhood. I thought this was just a stereo wow. stereotypical thing, like you see this on TV. But no, they they literally wanted to know uh, what my family situation had been growing up. That's really interesting. Yeah. Huh. So this is actually a good. This next question is a good sort of segue from what you're just talking about. Uh, Sarah wrote that. She's heard that the experience is actually harder on donors than it is on recipients. Why do you think that is? Like, what happens? Did it, did it hurt? Yeah. <laughs> so what I would say is my experience was extremely positive. Um, and I think I know a couple people who have gone through the process since. I've met some people through this. Um, and I think I, I've been luckier than some of them have been. Um. But to answer like the original question about it being harder for the donor than the recipient, that was not the case for my transplant. Oh, cool. Um, Good. Yeah. I, I was out of the hospital in less than 24 hours. I had to stay in Los Angeles uh, for 10 days um, so that I could go for a follow-up. But my wife had me marching up and down the Hollywood Hills for... <laughs> You know, within 48 hours of the procedure, which was great because, you know, it gets you moving. I wasn't moving very fast. <laughs> like, I knew I'd arrived when I could actually cross the street before the light turned red on the on the walk Aww. sign. Um, and that, that took a, a few days. Um, I think, in general, the reason it's supposedly harder on the donator than the recipient is, um, I guess donor is the word, not donator. But is because um, they can put a kidney pretty much anywhere into you that they can find proximity to a, you know, blood vessels and your bladder. Wow. So for the recipient, they don't have to go deep into your body to, to perform the procedure. For the donor, your kidney is like on the back side of your back and it comes out your front. And so they have to somehow you know, weasel their way all the way through your, your insides Ugh. and then... They they I don't know how they do this. It, it's amazing. Um, they they somehow put a bag around your kidney, and then they just pull this bag, and they uh, they take your kidney out. It's like a crab trap. Yeah, it is. 
through an incision um, that's only about three inches long. Really? And uh, yeah, so it's amazing how they do it. It's a, it's a laparoscopic procedure to donate. Oh, wow. Mine okay. was at least. Um, and so, you know, I have, you know, three or four scars on my chest uh, that are very small inside that just so that they could get some instruments in and some, some light. Um, and then a three-inch incision where they remove the kidney. But overall, you know, I, I was really afraid that it could be really hard on me. Um, and I went back, I went, my, my, my job doesn't require me to be physical, but I, I was able to go back to work two days after having donated, just sitting, um, at a computer and, um, and I was still on some, you know, good pain meds at that point in time. But I like to think that inspired my creativity in that period. <laughs> Didn't you have to buy a special chair because your back was hurting a little bit, but that was about it? Um, yeah, I did have to buy a special chair, yeah. uh, but I don't know that that was related to the um, No, it's probably the chair, yeah. the earlier chair. Sarah, Sarah's referring it is to, metal. Yeah. So Sarah's husband and I are business partners, and we work out of Sarah's house uh, frequently, and there was a hard wooden stool I'd been sitting on for months that... Finally, my back said, I don't like this any longer. Yeah. And we we were a, wondering when you were going to be yeah. like, it's like, he must be a glutton for punishment. I don't know. Yeah, it, it was out. when you were one kidney I, down, you got a good chair. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so now that I say that, what happens if you need a kidney now that you're down one already? Well, hopefully I don't. Yeah. I hope not either. Yeah. Um, you know, we are all blessed to have, most of us are blessed to have two kidneys, which is one more than your body really needs to um, facilitate your function. If I were to ever need a kidney because mine failed in some way, um, I get priority on the donor list. Oh, that's so awesome. part of donating a kidney is that you, you, you have that insurance, I guess, uh, which I hope I never have to cash in. Um, and you know, donation, donated kidneys don't last forever. So, um, you know, if I think I only get on the priority list once, so, um, but hopefully it just never comes out. I just never even have, have thought through that. So you had mentioned, this is, this is really interesting. I didn't know this, uh, that your, your kid, your kidney could be put kind of wherever was convenient Mm -hmm. in the recipient. So like, where did your kidney go? I know you probably don't know the like medical details of what went on, but right. Like, do you know the process of like from you getting to Los Angeles to getting out of surgery? Like, where you and your kidney went? Could you walk us through that? Uh, yeah, I can tell you what I know about it. That's so right. yeah. yeah. I mean- um. So my my donation was you know we were in the same hospital, mm-hmm. so a lot of times people donating kidneys. A lot of times people donate kidneys so they don't know the person they're donating to. Um, and that might just be because they are an incredible human being and they've said, I want to do something for somebody else and I'm just going to sign up to do it. Um, it's oftentimes it's part of a, a parrot exchange where like your spouse might need a kidney and you're not compatible with your spouse, but you can donate a kidney to somebody else that begins a chain where they then have somebody, a friend that donates a kidney and through that process, your spouse is able to get a kidney. Um, And in those kinds of chains, I think it's really common that you're not in the same hospital as the person you're donating to. And it's also common that uh, the person you're donating to is 
a thousand miles away. Um, and so what they'll do is they'll harvest your kidney harvest, is such a terrible term for this, right? Right. Yeah. It really is, <laughs> <laughs> but they'll, they'll take your donated kidney and, um, they pack it, I guess, in ice and put it in a cooler and they, they take it to the airport and they give it to somebody. And I think it then gets loaded on the bottom of a plane, just like your luggage was do- loaded on the plane. Really? I don't know. Maybe it actually stays in climate controlled space in the plane. I don't know. But what I do know is it's not being escorted by a person that entire process. You would think there'd be some chain of custody yeah. for this. You would want to make sure. But apparently they've done this enough that they're reliable at getting these things delivered. And um, so then it, it takes a plane flight and it can be, you know, 24 hours later when it then gets uh, transplanted, installed, if I can use another <laughs> crass term for... Since they're using harvested, why not planted? That's right. There it gets go. planted. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so it's amazing to me that, like, a kidney can survive outside of a person for that period of time and still be, you know, significantly viable such that they're not worried um, about well, that, that, that time period. In my case, uh, you know, I met the recipient at the hospital. Like we had, we had, um, lunch and spent the afternoon together the day before I, I flew nice. from Raleigh to mm-hmm. Los Angeles. They picked us up at the airport. My wife and I, we went back to their house. We stopped for lunch along the way. I wasn't allowed to eat any real food after noon that day. So we had to stop for lunch at 1130. I packed the biggest hamburger I could into my <laughs> belly and I felt terrible the rest of the day for it. So I, I wouldn't recommend that, uh, for people, but that's, then that's exactly what I did before my C-section. Oh yeah. Like right before I had to stop eating. Yeah. <laughs> In an enormous hamburger. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think honestly, like when they tell you to stop eating, like they really have your bowel function in mind. And so it's actually a good idea just it to does. heed their advice but um, I didn't understand really what was going on. Um, so uh, we had lunch. We spent the afternoon together. And then um, my wife and I had a hotel room near the hospital. So um, they drove us and dropped us off. And then the next morning we met at the hospital. Uh, the procedure was scheduled to happen about 1 in the afternoon. I think I had to get there about 10.30 in the morning. And they were already there in the waiting room. And we you know, spent three hours together in various waiting rooms before they took me back and, you know, then put me through the procedure. And so she's on a schedule. I think that's about 30 minutes behind me. So they take her back about a half hour later and the whole procedure takes about four hours. At some point in that procedure, they've, they've extracted my, they've harvested my kidney. I think they put it in a stainless steel bowl. I I have a picture of it. Um, and then they, Put it on a cart, I think, so nobody's like carrying the bowl and trips and drops it. Oh my god! And they wheel it to the next room where she has already been put under, and uh, presumably they've done enough prep work to figure out how they're going to patch this into her. And then for her, it's an open surgery, so um, they have she has a much bigger incision than I do, um, but they I think just put it like in her abdominal area, mm-hmm. and. Um, then, you know, they have to patch the, the ureter, if you remember your high school biology, um, into her bladder. So the, the ureter goes with the kidney. So she has my kidney and my ureter. Uh, lucky, lucky lady, huh? <laughs> 
Um, it's very generous to include, oh, yes, the, include that, the charging cable with the This is true. Equipment. I know, yes. Yeah, so no, no separate purchase necessary. Um, and uh, so then, but the, it's just sort of in her stomach area. So she actually had three kidneys. She had her two kidneys oh. um, that are not very high functioning. And then she's got my kidney, which hopefully becomes high functioning for um, and she, you know, she left the hospital. I think, um, the procedure was on a Wednesday. I think she got out of the hospital on Saturday or so. Mm, wow. Um, and, uh, so I'd gotten out on Thursday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and at this point I can't remember what question you asked me. I've just been talking a lot. You've been answering my exact question okay. about where you and your kidney went. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So it really <laughs> so went from one room to another room on a cart. All right. How's she doing? Do you ever hear about your kidney and yeah, how she's doing? I, I texted her, um, just the other day to ask how she's doing. So, um, first off, like it gives me like great joy to hear how it's working for her. So, um, I find that's what's really meaningful about this is, um, like she has, she has incredible kidney function right now. Good. Yay. Um, and, um, there's a, a couple different metrics that they use to measure your kidney function. But the one that we talk about, or she and I sort of compare notes on is called creatinine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I think normal creatinine, um, values for a healthy person are between 0.6 and 1.4. And her creatinine, I believe, was over three before the transplant. When she got out of the hospital, her creatinine was about 0.8. So that's amazing. Yeah, just that's one huge. one kidney was able to do tremendous amount of work. Now I say one kidney. She actually had three kidneys, um, and I do tell her that she was cheating, um, <laughs> even though they were they were kind of defunct. Um, but so. She, you know, her recovery took longer and she has to be really careful. She's on anti-rejection meds, mm-hmm. um, which are all about suppressing your immune system. She has to be re- really careful about things like she can't eat at a buffet ever again in her life, um, which might... What a loss. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> um, so the, uh, yeah, she, she's done really well from that perspective. Um, she then though, like her original kidneys are the size of footballs. And it's just an uncomfortable way to live. So in October, she had her original kidneys removed. Mm-hmm. So the kidney, when I donate a kidney and when you just have them removed, it's called a nephrectomy. Um, so she had a double nephrectomy in October. And so now she's gone through both receiving kidneys and removing kidneys. Um, and I think she would tell you that for her, taking the kidneys was a lot harder process than uh, receiving. She had a couple complications through it. I won't go into all the details there, but um, I know she, so she works as a realtor in Los Angeles and like she's posted on Facebook a few weeks ago that uh, she had managed to work, like show six homes. She's walking with a cane and her husband has to drive her around, but she was able to do some work. Um, And it sounds like she's, she's recovered tremendously since then. Um, But she's overall, her kidney function is, is great. Uh, she's just been through the ringer with two major surgeries yeah. this year and it just takes time to, to recover. Wow. So where does Doug Newman go? Tell us about where you can be found in the world, like about maybe, uh, your startup Arpio, anything you want the world or our sprinkling of listeners 
all over the world, like maybe in Sweden or anywhere else to know. I'd love people in Sweden to know. Um, and, and anywhere. There are at least three. Right. Yeah, that's right. Awesome. I listen regularly. To Fantastic. Um, so I, I mean, I, as Sarah mentioned, uh, Sarah's husband, and I, uh, founded a startup together and that's like pretty much all in consuming. Um, so between that and the fact that I have two, uh, one teenage and one middle school, um, daughters that have a lot of demands, um, that's kind of my life. Uh, so, but I would be extremely glad to reach out or to talk to anybody who wants to understand more about kidney donation and what that process is really like and um, has additional questions. Uh, you can find me, uh, you know, on on LinkedIn, Doug Newman, spelled N-E-U-M-A-N-N. Just shoot me a, a LinkedIn connection. Let me know that you heard this and you want to chat some more. Um, I'm also on Facebook if you can find me there. Um, there is a a pretty active kidney donation, living kidney donor community on Facebook. If somebody wants to understand more about it, that's a way to learn more about the process. Um, so, but yeah, I just, that's, that's kind of, I'm not like I'm on Twitter, but I just don't get it yet. Um, <laughs> my kids tell me I need to get on the Instagram. Uh, you are on Instagram. I have an you Instagram account. You follow me account. on Instagram. <laughs> I know. I and think, I think you follow though. where does it go as yeah, well? Yeah, I, so I, I don't leverage it a lot. I don't post very often. <laughs> Just post pictures of your coffee every day. That's it's, what Instagram's that, for. It's, it's like for? pictures of food and pets. I thought that was Snapchat. My, my daughter... Maybe it is. I'm too old for yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. My daughter was showing me her Snapchat feed the other day. It's literally just pictures of the wall. <laughs> Apparently there's a thing where if you've... Like you have chains and I've, I've Snapchatted this person X number of days in a row and that establishes something. And so it doesn't matter what you send them. So it's pictures of the wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, awesome. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, guys. It's We're thankful you're here. Well, I'm thankful to be here, and I, <laughs> I appreciate you guys caring enough to invite me to, to be on this. And you can find us on whereitisitpodcast.com. Thank you. Bye.